so no matter what the data says, damn the data. Like, 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 just throw it out. Like, do what you are knowledgeable about. I can't tell you how often I talk to um, blue collar workers who are no college degree, but crushing on Amazon because they have a very specific niche product that they know more about than anybody in the world. You're listening to Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast, your resource for one of a kind insights into the world of e-commerce and business in the modern age. This is Joseph. I'll be presenting a wealth of industry knowledge from interviews with successful business people and our own state-of-the-art research. Your time is valuable, so let's go. Our guest today is here to help put yet another piece of the e-com puzzle together, and a massive piece at that, which is the market potential of Amazon. Not unlike Facebook or Google, Amazon is an ever-evolving landscape. While the incentive to be on Amazon is clear, the challenges are numerous. Enter my Amazon guy, Stephen Pope. Stephen Pope, it's so great to have you. Thank you for coming on Ecomonics, a Debutify podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Joseph. Pleasure to talk to you guys today. Pleasures on my end as well. Uh, first question, most important one, arguably, is tell us who you are and what you do. Sure thing. I'm the founder of my Amazon guy, and we are a 30-person agency based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and we focus on growing sales on Amazon. There's generally two ways we do that. Traffic improvements, like advertising and SEO, and conversion increases, everything from cataloging, merchandising, and design, like A-plus content. There's going to be a lot to unpack here because of all the people that I've talked to, uh, I haven't had any Amazon experts yet. Our, our general demographic, as far as the guests go, obviously a lot of dropshippers, a lot of people who are experienced in Facebook ads. Last week, we talked to our first uh, Google expert. I'm looking forward to getting into that side of it. I'm looking forward to getting into your experience working with Amazon because it's, such a, it's a big company and it's certainly had an impact on most of our lives, especially within the last six months. I, I couldn't even count how many things I've received off of Amazon. I've slept on something that I've gotten from Amazon. I didn't think that was going to happen. Yeah, you can buy anything on Amazon. Unicorn, you name it. Seeing Amazon grow this year has been insane. I mean, like my phone's ringing off the hook for demand, right? Like I just redesigned my site. Um, because we have so many people coming in that want to either A, grow sales, or B, solve a problem, right? So if you go to myamazonguy.com right now, you go on the left, it's like, I want to grow mm-hmm. sales. Okay, what, what do you want to do to grow yourself? You want to focus on your advertising, your design, your SEO, whatever. Or on the right-hand side, problem. And the reason why I recently made that change is because the amount of problems on Amazon's platform right now is out of control. And so the complexities to sell on Amazon are at all-time extreme highs, on the flip side, it's never been a better time to sell on Amazon because sales are through the roof, just like you kind of let in with. Mm-hmm. But I like to engage authentically with people before they jump into this Amazon world to set expectations. There is by no stretch passive income on Amazon, right? Like mm-hmm. like no stretch. So a lot of the dropshipper communities are like, oh, I just connect some data and then all of a sudden, you know, the orders come in and I'm in the process of selling data instead of selling goods, right? And I'm, I don't mean to undersell that model by any stretch, but when you connect the dots into Amazon, the world gets increasingly more complex. Data management plus catalog management plus uh, inventory syncing and FBA and advertising and other people's catalogs also intersecting with all of your own data. 
So we've, we've seen a big change this year on, on what's happening. It's, you know, PPC costs are up. Amazon's locking down listings more. They're yanking more listings. The, the, the laundry list is very extensive. So a lot to unpack there for sure. Right. Now, what I can see from Amazon's point of view is why they would have a lot of restrictions and why would they would take a lot of these actions. And mind you, I'm coming from the perspective of a customer here. Because that's the only tangible experience that I have with Amazon up to this point. And Amazon caters to customers, right? So sure. Right. And so they have spearheaded their own fulfillment process. They've got warehouses. They've got their own delivery infrastructure. And uh, just from the tidbits of news that I pick up over time, they're definitely looking to go after even the other delivery companies. A company like FedEx, for instance, needs to watch out. They stopped integrating with FedEx this year. Big development. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think of like, what's the best way to approach this? And I guess we should go with, for our audience, not everybody has taken the plunge yet into e-commerce at all. Quite a lot of people are trying to figure out what are their best options for entry. Some people might just want to uh, drop ship on Facebook. We're going to have a lot of people who are going to go that route. Uh, I myself strongly considering that. So for someone, let's just say they're rather green I can see the advantages of going to Amazon because they have their own fulfillment process, but I can also see why Amazon is being very protective. So why would someone be motivated to get themselves involved in Amazon in the first place? So it's half the economy for one. And yeah, if, that checks if, out. You're not, if you're not an Amazon, quite frankly, you're irrelevant, right? And I may, I may ruffle a few feathers with that comment, but really, if, if you're not selling on Amazon, you're missing out on the largest marketplace in the North American continent. There's increasingly kind of a methodology I would describe is like Amazon has killed brands, right? Like if I were to ask you, you know, you mentioned you bought something on Amazon to sleep on recently, right? Mm-hmm. What was the name of that brand? I have no idea. I do. I do. <laughs> exactly. As soon as you're like, oh, no, I can't remember that. Yeah. And, and then follow up question, which by now is moot, but what was the name of the seller you bought it from? Yeah. Like zero <laughs> out of 100 people are going to get that. So because Amazon, in the historical sense, has killed brands, with exceptions to household names like luxury brands like Apple, et cetera, right? But 95% of what we buy are not that description. So if you consider that Amazon has killed brands and it also has commoditized items, lowered their prices, and then made them super fast to ship, that's like the history. And now if you say, okay, if that's the history, where is it going, right? I predict that we're going to see American-made, North American-made products just really kick off here very shortly and a bigger push for higher quality. There's a guy who wrote a book called I Effing Love That Company. That's literally the name of the book Mm -hmm. and was written by the CEO of American Giant, which basically sells the Mercedes-Benz version of a hoodie. And after I read that book, I bought two myself. They are freaking great hoodies. And nonetheless, his prediction is that we're going to see those two very things happen, higher quality American made. And I I think I read that book seven years ago. It's even increasingly more truer now, right? It's taken longer than I thought it would to make that transition to. Mm -hmm. So there's some history there that I I, uh, can recall. So and this goes back quite a ways. So essentially, World War II devastates Europe. Europe loses its manufacturing power. The United States, largely untouched uh, from the devastation of the war, they have a head start with manufacturing. So they're able to uh, really resupply Europe and help them rebuild. So over time, 
through a mixture of bureaucracy as well as companies just looking for how it's the best, uh, most efficient bottom line, manufacturing moves over. Uh, Japan was uh, strong for a while, and now manufacturing moved over into China. And now Vietnam's kind of next. Uh, well, I was reading that India would also be one of the next major players and that they're looking to uh, set up uh, major manufacturing plants. Now, I mean, there's the pride in ordering something from American-made. Even I would prefer an American-made product over a product that came from China. It's not that I, I doubt the craftsmanship of Chinese people far from it, but I am well aware of the ethics. Yeah, culturally speaking, if you order something out of China, they're doing everything they can to penny pinch and bring yeah. down operations costs at all costs, right? So like I've spoken to so many Amazon sellers where like their manufacturer penny pinch something that saved like literally a, a penny and a half per item that cost the company hundreds of thousands of dollars in problems. And they didn't tell they didn't tell the seller, right? So like that sort of thing happens every single time. Whereas in the States that might happen on occasion, but it's like, you know, you'd call those guys up and show up, right? But like mm -hmm. I, 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 I'm pretty confident we're going to see a surge in the manufacturing, not only because of the American pride or the quality, but also just from the supply chain angle, right? So like, obviously, COVID's really crushed the supply chain. I, I think the phrase just in time supply chain management is dead, right? Now, some might articulate, okay, it's just sleeping, but I, I honestly think it's dead. If you don't have a year supply of inventory right now, then you're going to be disrupted inevitably whether it's a wildfire on the West Coast, whether it's COVID 2.0, whatever it might be, black swan event, it's going to happen. Black swan event being highly improbable, highly unpredictable, and highly impactful things. There's, there's a book written called The Black Swan, highly recommend that. And it indicts the bell curve and basically says you got to solve for the things that are intangible in that sense. So that's kind of where I think it's going. And I think, uh, you know, I wouldn't put all my eggs in the basket of Amazon by any mm -hmm. stretch, right? Like I also advocate people have a Shopify site when they're an Amazon seller. And I also advocate selling on Walmart and eBay and Etsy and you name it. Diversify your portfolio. No questions about it. Control your own destiny when you can. And then also, you know, to use a hockey metaphor, since you're Canadian, mm -hmm. uh, be where the puck is going, not where it is currently. That's also the extent of my hockey. Uh, that is now the extent of my hockey knowledge as well. <laughs> <laughs> go, go Maple Leafs. I, I don't even know. The, the team that we love to hate. Yeah, uh, Toronto. Uh, my my view of Toronto is that people get good in Toronto and then they go somewhere else. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Well, I, I grew up in Utah and we have the Utah Jazz. I felt the same way. <laughs> so, it's like after our John Stockton, Carl Malone era, we, we've done nothing. <laughs> so, except grow, grow really great players and then ship them out. My brother, one of his best ideas ever was to create this bar where people would just go to shout at the Leafs. Like it, it was just promoting the whole like anti-Leaf anti agenda. Nice. Uh, I, I wish him well with that. I genuinely hope that he does that. I, I would love to put that on Facebook and just say, hey, I've got an anti-Leaf agenda. Just period. And yeah. nobody knows what I'm talking about. That is a great out of context sentence. Well, all these people coming from Ottawa. Who knows? I finally yeah. gave them something to do. Um, I wanted to I wanted to touch on the passive income just briefly because uh, you stated that it's, it's not doable. But even as a myth, it's like there's this kernel of truth. Like there's this reason why the idea uh, came to fruition in the first place. So is there any semblance to why people might think that there's passive income involved? Like if it's just if the whole thing is automated and sales are happening without a person's additional effort? I think that there is a glimmer of truth in the statement in the sense that 
it's easier than compared to many other models, right? So like if you wanted to go open up a pizza chain right now, I mean, like your profit margins are less. It's a lot more work. You're putting in 60 to 70 hours a week to run that thing. Whereas on Amazon, it's still difficult work, but it's very, very different work, right? Like you don't have to have a warehouse. I'd advise it. I think it's good to stock your own stuff. Um, plus, you don't want to keep a year supply of your goods at Amazon per se. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the ability to grow your sales is is very speedy and fast on Amazon, so it can feel a little bit more rewarding. You get your dopamine hits when you launch a new item, and all of a sudden you're selling a thousand per month, right? Like very difficult to replicate that in other models. Additionally, once you get going, the machine does kind of maintain itself. Now, when a wrench you know, enters into the gears and clogs up the system, it's all hands on deck. And man, you go from a thousand units per month down to zero, right? Like Amazon link yanks your listing. Some categories that are very, very difficult to sell in, anything topical or consumable, mm -hmm. um, typically are the hardest categories. So supplements, if, if you wanted a product to not start your first Amazon product in, it would be supplements without a question, right? Most highly regulated category on Amazon. Also, all of the dirty players, they're in supplements. The Chinese are in supplements and they will do anything they can to put food on the table. So we've, we've also increasingly seen a lot of direct to consumer from Chinese directly to the, the United States customers. I actually bought my first item off TikTok the other day. That was a mistake, by the way. I didn't uh, know not, TikTok was, I, I uninstalled TikTok. I, it, I, the temptation was just too much for me. <laughs> so yeah, there, there's a lot we could talk about there. But in any case, it, it shipped. It was a terrible item. It didn't have all the parts it said it was going to have. Uh, it wasn't even in English or it was in Chineseium. You get the idea. Um, terrible, terrible item. And it was uh, the item I had bought was like a, a star kit. So you could put it in the, you know, I've got three kids under five and I wanted to put some stars in their room in the dark with a lighting kit. And it didn't even have light. So I'm just like, <laughs> like come on. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't even know what we were talking about. We went from Maple Leafs to Chineseium. So. Help me out. Oh, no worries. No worries. I'm happy to just listen and take this in. I mean, one insight right there is I really legitimately didn't realize that people were selling things on TikTok. Not that I'm surprised. Got to monetize know. it eventually, right? So Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I have some questions about uh, Amazon because, you know, this is a rare opportunity for me to get uh, someone with your level of expertise. One thing I'm trying to wrap my brain around is in the long term, what will be the limits of what Amazon is capable of? And so... They seem to be working on what I know as the locked-in business model, where they are trying to disincentivize people from using other services. Uh, so you sign up for Amazon Prime, they provide content. And from what I hear, the boys is pretty good. Uh, they have web storage. They have uh, AWS. So the, my question is in two parts. Can you give our audience like a sense of Amazon's full scope, just in case I missed anything? And then as a predictive question, how much do you see Amazon continuing to have an impact in people's day-to-day -day lives? So not only is Amazon half the economy and, and every service you mentioned, we could even add like another four yep. or five services from like Twitch and video games and, you know, music and whatever else. But from a seller standpoint, what it allows you to do is launch a digital product, a physical product digitally rather, and catalog it. And then for you to drive traffic as much as you possibly can within the ecosystem and start selling a lot of it very quickly. And then once you're ranked in the system, you know, you perpetually continue those, that sales velocity. So like, it's very different than on a Shopify site, you turn on your Google ads, right? 
And the moment you turn Google ads off, 80% of your sales could just like evaporate overnight. Whereas on Amazon, you turn off your PPC and your sales would take a hit like they would any, any platform ever, but it's significantly less because the momentum that you get off PPC, every sale you get off PPC generates three organic sales over time. And that, that ratio is very hard to replicate anywhere else. So yeah, there's, there's a lot of different things within the Amazon ecosystem. If we were just to talk about Amazon ads briefly, there is like seven ad segmentations. And I bet you most consumers slash sellers probably know about three of them, right? So, so there's a lot more places to buy traffic on right. Amazon than there ever has been. Um, video ads are the hottest thing right now. If you are selling on Amazon and don't have video ads up, you are missing out on the greatest opportunity ever. Just the other day, they launched display ads with text in them. So a lot of automation and robot marketing and uh, bid changes are occurring in the ecosystem. At the same time, the ecosystem is evolving away from single type algorithmic based advertising and it's moving towards more human marketing where you, you're writing your small amount of text on a display ad and then people can see it. So a lot more humanization is occurring in marketing's ecosystem right now. So one great frame of reference for our listeners is the breakdown of the objective of ads between Facebook and Google, which also relates to the objective of the platforms in the first place. So when you have ads on Facebook, people are on Facebook, they're not exactly, maybe they'll shop, maybe they're not, but they're just on Facebook for discovery, like you mentioned earlier about dopamine hits. And then of course, people can curate their content so that it's, a, it's all dopamine and, uh, and no cortisol. So Facebook ads are competing with people's attention on a very base level. So it's not even a guarantee that they're customers. Then you get to Google and there's a step up. So now people are searching for answers and those answers may end up in the form of a product, but even so we still haven't established the idea that people searching on Google are necessarily customers. Amazon, however, people are on Amazon because they're looking to buy something. So in relating to advertisements, it seems to cut to the chase a lot more, but it also seems like it's a lot more competitive. So what are people doing to have an edge in terms of Amazon ads? So it's interesting you mentioned like that consumer journey. So Amazon passed Google last year as the starting place for people when they're starting a product search, right? So like used to Google shopping used to be king and you used to have to tailor focus on, on Google SEO to get e-commerce sales. And that's no longer the case. It's Amazon now. So there's a lot of different things you can do to improve your, your advertising traction. Very common best practices like having a brand store can affect your Google SEO. You know, let's, let's say Amazon's only 10% of your sales. Should you still have an Amazon brand storefront? The answer is without a doubt, yes. And that's because when somebody goes to Google and searches brand name, your Amazon store is going to be like right underneath your main Shopify URL, right? It's going to be right there. And that's good. That's a good thing because generally speaking, when somebody's searching a brand name, you want to own every one of those segmentations and Facebook and all your social medias could be part of them, but you want to make sure those coupon sites, right? Like aren't showing up at the top of, of page one for, for Google. And it's a great thing to have. So there's, there's some, there's some cross um, omni-channel approaches to think about. But back to kind of your heart of your question of like, okay, how do I grapple with all of these advertising um, elements? So just to add on to additional ad types that are coming onto the Amazon platform right now, you can now externally advertise your Amazon products to other platforms within the Amazon ecosystem, a la Seller Central. 
That was not possible a couple months ago. Okay. So you can do retargeting. You can do lookalike retargeting and, and focus in on, on hitting a lot of new clients and customers that wouldn't have found your products otherwise. And because Amazon has all of this product data, they are going to find low cost options for you to hit. Now, every company ever has to do make a decision, you know, on a scale of one to 10, on, on, on the 10, I want to grow my company and at one, I want to have profit. And every company ever has to decide, like, mm-hmm. where's the friction between these two elements going to occur? Do I want to be a six out of 10 on, on growth versus profit? Or I want to be a two and be closer to profit. So depending on your objectives, that equates the rest of your, your methodology on like how much you spend on ads. What are your advertising costs of spend goals? How much do you want to grow versus how much you want to make a profit? And based on that, you can iterate and decide, okay, based, you know, here's your course of action. Okay, I want to do these 15 things to grow my traffic and, and profit accordingly. Okay, I want to ask about Seller Central. So again, coming back to frames of reference, uh, a lot of uh, our audience will have experience on Shopify. And so through Shopify, they'll have access to a lot of applications and add-ons and plugins that they can use to then translate into a, a better functioning front end. So Amazon, of course, is taking care of a lot of that. It's, it's, their, it's their baby, it's their company. So within Seller Central, what, do we ha- what tools do we have to work with to, uh, to make a way into the Amazon river? I didn't, that was a complete accident. Uh, relating to the river. I, so but, I don't know what the river okay. reference is, but I'll, I'll roll with it. So river traffic, okay. The so, river of traffic, uh, yeah. Within Seller Central, and it's and it's interesting, you know, with, with the major Shopify tie-in here, obviously Shopify and Amazon are quite married to each other, right? Like they were the first integration into okay. Amazon, like literally first, beating out all the other, other e-commerce platforms. So that's a good thing for your audience because it's easier to launch your items within Shopify on Amazon versus any other platform ever. So that's good to know. Additionally, Amazon's launching its own third-party tool application system. And I don't spend a lot of time there personally because quite frankly, most of those integrations are becoming less important. And, and that's a good thing. And that's because Amazon is like, you know, letting all these IT experts go build a tool and then they're like, cool, that's being used by 50% of our sellers. We should probably just integrate that right into Seller Central. And that's exactly what they do. As one small example, automated pricing structures. So if you're a dropshipper and you got 100,000 SKUs, obviously you don't want to be going in there mucking with your own pricing. You want to you want to create a rule and basically set your minimum advertised price and say, don't go below this and then automate the rest and boom, you're done. That's all within Seller Central now as an in-house tool. But Back in the day, you had to hire a third party. So the best third party tool today is Helium 10 and maybe a, a distant second Jungle Scout. I'm a big Helium 10 proponent. They have the most raised capital in the space. They have the best developers and quite frankly, some of the best content and expertise. Their tool is dominating everything that I touch. So like I, I'm in Helium 10 three hours a day. That's how much I use that tool. And it's because they have the best keyword research and they have, I mean, like their, their keyword tool is so powerful and, and a lot of other tools are catching up. Don't get me wrong. Um, but like I, I've had a decade career in e-commerce. I, I spent, you know, the first half of that working for failed startups. I, I've onboarded SEO tools like Conductor Searchlight and SEM Rush and AARFs many, many times. I used to pay like three to five grand a month for Conductor Searchlight. And the value of that is because I could track my keywords and I'd know like if I invest my SEO content here, then 
my keyword ranks go up and then I can extrapolate the value of, of said content effort. And as many of uh, you guys know, it's very, very difficult to know how and what to invest in SEO. It's a very, very different world than PPC where it's spend money, get sales. Where in SEO, it's like spend money and maybe get sales mm -hmm. and your sales are trickling in over the course of the next two years, right? So sunk costs, long-term advertising in SEO versus immediate high uh, dopamine hits off PPC. So three to five grand a, a month on SEO tools for websites back in the day, you now get that for one to $200 a month off tools like Helium 10, which is incredibly cheap. And that's not even scratching the surface of what that tool does. It helps you articulate all of those keywords as well as looking at all of your competitor research data. Like I, I can look up any ASIN on um, any product on Amazon, ASIN being the catalog SKU version, if you will. And I can tell you how much it's selling for, mm -hmm. how many units per month and what its gross revenue is. And I can also tell you what its estimated logistics costs are because of the product dimension data is public as well. And I can do this across the entire ecosystem of Amazon. So if I'm trying to launch a product or know if my products on my Shopify site are going to do well on Amazon, it is very easy to do that research today. Seems to have taken out a lot of the guesswork in getting a product going. So I mean, what, is there anything that's left to chance or is there any of it where you're still like, okay, I think, I think this is going to work or, I mean, it really sounds like it, they just know uh, what to expect so, well, and you know what every, to expect. Every benefit has a double-edged sword, right? So I just told you how easy it was to do the research. Sure. Well, what does that mean? It means everybody's doing the research. So when a new hot hit product right. comes out and somebody shows up, well, then it's going to be replicated by five other people. And so the product life cycle, which I don't know like where you would put the bar on this, but let's say the average product lifecycle off of Amazon was two to three years. On Amazon, it's one year, if that. If you do well on Amazon, you're going to be replicated. Not by Amazon, although possible, but more than likely it's just because mm -hmm. somebody else saw your, your data. So what I generally recommend is stick to what you know. So you went camping in the snow uh, this past week. So you probably have a little bit of edge <laughs> on how to prepare, uh, you know, be a, be a survivalist. And you may, you may know a couple items that you wish you had brought, or maybe you brought a couple items that you have and you're knowledgeable about. You have a gigantic edge over the city slicker in New York City trying to sell those same products. So what I, what I generally coach people to do, and we do a lot of Amazon coaching, um, you know, if you, if you ever need just a one-hour coaching session, you go to myamazonguy.com, hit book a coaching session. And what I generally do, and I, and I coach a lot of people who, Sometimes they need to be coached out where they're like, you know, five year olds who don't mm. have any technology skills, like don't like Amazon's not where you should be heading. Like, honestly, like it's not a good use of your retirement income. Please, please don't go waste money doing that. But I also uh, talk to a lot of people who are on the other side of the spectrum where in their mid 20s or mid 30s and they are super technology focused and they're like, hey, I'm going to go start selling this uh, eco friendly dental product. And I ask them, are you a dentist? And they're like, no. And I'm like, have you used the product? And they're like, no. And I'm like, well, why do you want to sell this? And they're like, well, that's what Helium 10 says to sell. And it's really hot. And I, and I question that one very, very closely. And I say, look, like, tell me about your hobbies. Like, what do you do for fun outside of work? And they're like, well, you know, uh, I, you know I'm, I'm seven foot tall and I play basketball. Then why the heck are you selling dental mints or whatever? Like, like go... Go sell uh, Nike shoes or something. Go make your own version of that. So no matter what the data says, damn the data. Throw it out. Like Do what you are knowledgeable about. I can't tell you how often I talk to um, blue-collar workers who are no college degree, 
but crush it on Amazon because they have a very specific niche product that they know more about than anybody in the world. Niching and expertise will trump anybody else's data all day long. High quality products are easier to sell on Amazon versus uh, an in-demand product because you, you have a lot to hang your hat on. And high quality products are much easier to make if you understand the product and if you can articulate those features. Mm -hmm. I can certainly back you up on that just from some of the other people that I've talked to and even some of the research that I've found is that one of the main ways to uh, convince somebody to be more invested in your brand and especially part of the funneling process where at first all they have is a passing awareness of you is in your content. It's what you write. Uh, it's not just about blog posts and uh, about emails, but all, that's all helpful too. It's also about how your passion is conveyed in the copy. Yeah, brand and, building. Just like how, and I mean to cut you off there, uh, but like like just the amount of knowledge that you can build your brand around, those, those messages that you can tell, very important. Mm -hmm. You mentioned about profit versus growth and that there's two ends of the spectrum. So it's good that I'm asking you now because uh, you mentioned your coaching calls and I expect that this comes up in those coaching calls is how do you convince somebody, maybe you can tell maybe they would be better off going more for profit over growth or vice versa. So what characteristics would somebody have if they're more profit motivated versus if they're more growth motivated? If your sales on Amazon are under 50K a month, then you should be focused on growth without a question. Okay. And that's because there's just so much more room to grow, right? And, and the fastest two ways to grow sales, add more product, go, go source more SKUs and more products. And the second is advertise more. And as a high level advertising recommendation, I recommend spending 10% of your gross sales on ads. If you're not spending at least 10%, you're leaving sales on the table, a la you're seeking profit more than growth. That's the general like, high, high level answer to your question. But a lot of the times when I speak to sellers on Amazon, it's, it's the manufacturers and wholesalers that are generally profit focused because they, they understand their margins. They've been in business for a while and they just, they just want to make money. It's the guys who are side hustling a second job. They've got their warehouse in their closets and their, their basements and their garages. Mm -hmm. Those are the dudes that are like, I want to I want to grow this thing into a multi-million dollar company so I can quit my job. Maybe I'll sell it mm -hmm. and turn a profit that way. Those are the guys that are typically seeking growth. It's not as common for corporations to be growth focused. Yeah, that makes sense. Because with them, the bigger the company is, the more difficult it is to make decisions that would continue on because there's a lot more risk involved, a lot more uh, liability. So my next question is, this is, this is going to be one for our, uh, for our many dropshippers. So just, just to give you, again, going back to my, my theme about frames of reference. So Facebook, not a big fan of dropshipping. The level of quality is pretty drastic variance from the people who do quite well. And then there's, I mean, Eva, I've had experiences. I keep going back to this one. I ordered this thing called hands-free bracket. It got delivered to somebody in Quebec, which, and I'm in Ontario. As I never got it, and I went to the website to talk nice. to them, and the website is shut down. So <laughs> there's quite a disparity of, of, of experiences people have on these. So in, with that in mind, what's been the relationship between Amazon and dropshipping? I would say that model has peaked on Amazon. And so I, I've got over 160 active monthly clients with us, and 96% of them are private labelers. They own their own brand. 96%. Yeah. 
the drop shippers or the retailers buying from wholesalers, and I'm going to lump those together, sure. significantly small portion of the puzzle, 4%. That's probably pretty true for the Amazon numbers as well. Additionally, generally, the guys that, you know, the one counter that might be, the guys that are really good at drop shipping and have thousands of SKUs, they're probably a little bit more sophisticated and don't need an agency. And their model and profit margins are very different. And maybe they're not investing in brand building. Maybe they're not investing in catalog management and a lot of the things that an agency would do. And also, maybe they're not spending money on ads at all because the product is already household name and it just wants to sell. So for all those reasons, it's potentially possible that there's a little bit different focus or, or whatnot. But I do have a couple of wholesale brands that I, that I, I do sell personally. I've been doing it for several years. But increasingly, even I am pulling away from that because it's really hard to articulate a value prop and say, hey, let me be your exclusive seller. It's hard to get map pricing figured out. So you're dealing with pricing variations because like the biggest difference between selling your product on your website or eBay or many other platforms, you're all on the same page on Amazon. Everybody who sells that one product is on the same listing. And so you got what's called the buy box that rotates between all of these products, which is very, very difficult to manage in mass. So it's, it's a complex ecosystem for dropshippers, but the tying back into your Facebook comment, right? Like where you had that bad experience. So Facebook is where Amazon was 10 years ago, maybe even more preliminary than that. And Amazon has since kicked off all those bad actors. And the same thing will happen on Facebook, but it'll probably take like another two years. I've also wondered why Walmart hasn't caught up to Amazon yet. And they bought Jet and they couldn't integrate it. I don't know. But man, people are not shopping on Walmart proportionately, not online anymore. Yeah, this is great because this is very, very close to a question that I w wanted to ask you. Uh, from one of your YouTube videos, you do a lecture on the need for both uh, growth and evolution. You can do one, that's good. You can do the other, that's good. But you got to do both to be great. So Walmart sounds like they're they're trying, but they're going to perpetually be... Oh, no? I think, I think Walmart as a company just wants to get bigger. Their, their e-com strategy has been run by probably a bunch of guys who can't get the job done because they can't integrate the tech with the operation side, or it's run by people from that um, non-e-com background. So it's very, very different. I don't know any internal people at Walmart, so I don't mean to disparage that. But that's, that's, that's from an outside perspective, that's what it looks like, right? Because there's no movement, right? Like, like if you want to do PPC on Walmart, like they just came out with the ability to choose your own keywords like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> like these are things that you would expect on on a big national e-com platform a decade ago, but you know, so they're they're just way behind. Mm -hmm. Can you then expand on the philosophy of uh, growth and evolution? And I know one of the things we also wanted to make sure we talked about is you know how Amazon got to this point. So maybe using Amazon as the example of how they combined growth and evolution to get to where they are now? Yeah. So Amazon is a customer-centric platform. They're going extremely out of their way to serve the customer. They don't give a crap about their sellers. In fact, I'd say we're very close to a seller revolution right now with Amazon. And they just, sellers feel like they've been left behind by Amazon. There is a lot of discontent there. But with, with that in mind, I think that we will see um, continued evolution on the part of Amazon. And I think the, I think the get bigger part is going to happen geography wise, but not necessarily within North America, right? Like everybody has like one of the two households has a prime membership right now. It's going to be very hard to yep. grow that number. But what we will see is that the evolution will, will go from like Amazon being a part of your life in every shape and form, right? Like 
don't be surprised if Amazon goes and buys a Tesla, you know, company and starts marketing that way. And then all of a sudden you're in your car and it's like, hi, Alexa, please take me to X destination. And then your car drives itself or whatever. Like that's the kind of thing I, I would see Amazon evolving into from a seller standpoint. I think that Amazon is starting to realize how little they've been paying attention to sellers and they're realizing that they have to change that. I think I think we'll see a pivot there very soon in the next year. I don't think they can pivot yet because they don't have the resources. I think that Amazon's ecosystem has never been taxed the way it has. I mean, like if you look at the numbers, they were up 40% year over year during April through July. And I have been predicting that in the month of November and December of this year, I think they're going to be up 100% year over year. I don't know if that will come true or not. As the closer we get to it, it's looking a little bit more suspect. Right? Like I would have thought numbers would be a lot better mm-hmm. in Amazon by now. But I can tell you that I still think we're going to see massive supply chain issues and people are going to stock out. And you're not going to be able to buy your Christmas presents, you know, first week in December. And, and it's just going to be insanely nuts. So I, I have strong feelings that December shopping, if you haven't done it by now, you're, you're going to be SOL sending your January, February presents this year. <laughs> but we'll see what happens. In any case, I, I'm a personal proponent of both evolving and growing. And if you're not doing both, you're missing out on the exponential nature of growth. You can always mm-hmm. get bigger and you can always evolve. But when you do both, it's very difficult. Very, very difficult. It's a cultural adoption. That's excellent. I got a couple of, uh, a couple of this. These are like personal curiosities that I have towards uh, Amazon. And I'm hoping with your expertise, you can uh, shed a little bit of light on them. The first one, I'm sorry, this is going to be absurd, but uh, I, I got to ask, has Amazon gotten to the point where they're so predictive of customer behavior that they're actually fulfilling orders before the customer has gone to checkout? So no, although very close, right? Like okay. they they have, you know, the, remember those buttons that they marketed for a couple of years where you're like, you get your like tied button and you put it in your laundry room and it would just like click your order. And they also have subscribe and save, but, but no, that level of sophistication is not there. Plus that would be a very dangerous thing to do. Right. Like, because if they started fulfilling the order and then you didn't order, what then? <laughs> it's just like, okay, I get my yeah. toilet paper on my doorstep. I was thinking about toilet paper. I don't know how you read my Facebook Messenger, Amazon, but I, wa- I, I didn't have enough money to make that purchase. So, how did that get here? That, that won't happen, I don't think, anytime soon. Okay. That's fair. Uh, so, the next one, this one is more on the serious side. So, while comparing it to, say, some of the, uh, the ethical dilemmas in China, to uh, put it politely, I, I have heard that in Amazon warehouses and in fulfillment centers, the employees could stand to be treated a lot better. And by the way, if you don't feel like you can weigh in on this substantially, by all means, we can, I, I, I know, bite the hand that feeds but, me all the time. I, I call Amazon out on the carpet twenty four seven, and and I'm I've got friends over at Amazon, so like they know I'm saying these things. Right? Okay, fair enough. Just so for the record, I wasn't asking out of uh, fearfulness. Sure. Uh, that's my job, but it's more about. Like whether or not you really knew and you knew what was going on. And I figure you do. Uh, I would say that they have a high bar, right? Like the culture in Amazon, they they have built a culture where they literally purposely slough off 10% of their employees annually. Like it's it's a well-known documented thing. And it's because they, they call the non-performers. They always want to be growing and evolving. And, and to do that, you have to have a culture that sets a really high bar. And if, and if you don't call the 10%, you can't, you can't get better, right? Like you have to be continuously setting the bar higher. So the talent they bring in are higher. 
the other thing I would comment here is not only are they overworked and overtaxed from a resource standpoint, but like the burnout is just get gigantic. Like, like even servicing as an agency, I, in the last couple of years, I've never been so exhausted from actual work. Amazon changes their platform. They, they make a UI change. They break all of these things and, and they don't inform people. There is no communication about these things. Like all of a sudden Amazon just started creating new categories on Amazon and like broke listings and suppressed listings. Zero announcement about this. The only way you would even know is if you were checking. And then their own internal tools don't diagnose it for you. So it, it leaves you grasping at straws and it's just really difficult. So imagine you're a category owner. Let's say you're the owner of the beauty category on Amazon. Where do you spend your time? Like how do you decide what to do? And and it's a very difficult job. Like very, very difficult. So I, I would say that Amazon can get away with treating its employees the way it's doing because they're number one. But as soon as the number two catches up, we will see a gigantic exodus. And, and we've already seen the start to that. Some of the major, major higher ups on Amazon have gone out of the company in the last four or six months. I think we're going to see that accelerate. Any any rumblings on companies to look out for? Or is the, the, the ink still wet at this point? I, I'm still holding my breath for Walmart. Still giantly let okay. down, but holding my breath. I, I have launched as many of my clients as I can on Walmart just in preparation. But like uh, Wayfair is kicking the curve out of Amazon in its own niche. I think we're going to see other niche players do the same thing where they beat Amazon on a very specific vertical that's underserved. But even even other platforms like Newegg, which you wouldn't necessarily think about in the marketplace sense unless you were going to buy like a computer part, has very much mm. got out of the we're just a computer parts marketplace. Like they're expanding rapidly. So I think I think we're gonna see other players who gain some market share on, on, on a niche marketplace, but not on an Amazon wide spectrum by any stretch. Deliver is another company I'm watching very closely. I think that they have some phenomenal opportunities. And then quite frankly, uh, Shopify, right? Like uh, I think I think people investing in their own site are gonna pull market share away from Amazon because People are going to say, hey, you know, I, I would rather pay dividends to the brand instead of pay, pay this money to, to Amazon. That particular personnel customer set will be small because Amazon's made it so easy to shop. Why should I give you my credit card? Why should I spend the time to even spend five minutes entering my credit card into your website where I can just click a button on Amazon? Very hard to compete mm-hmm. with that. But, but I do think that if there, if there were players to take market share, it'd be Walmart, Shopify, and deliver and whoever else deliver partners with. Fascinating. So there's a, I mean, this is this is a philosophy that I've always held on to because I, I come from a from a performance background, and so I'm sure uh, most of our listeners will at least have heard of um, somebody like Dane Cook in passing, a fairly popular comedian. Not so much now, but when internet videos were starting to make the rounds, he was. I, I know why you would go with. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and I and also when I don't feel like bringing him up, I'll just say McDonald's. But in both <laughs> these cases, what you have are exactly. large scale. I I like McDonald's burgers and I say some of his bits have been entertaining. I I don't have a problem with either of them, but there are limits to people investing. Maybe they'll think that a McDonald's burger is the most delicious burger and they'll never become fans of of anything beyond that. Me, I'm a bit of a a burger fan. Like I'm a fan of like a Holy Chucks and Burger Sprees and all those guys. Same thing with Dan Cook. Like they might be a comedy fan to the extent that they'd like Dane Cook, but they might never get into comedians that have a little bit more, I guess, nuance to their to their craft. 
So I think Amazon is in that same position where everybody wants to shop online. We'll just think Amazon because it's like you said, it's it's half the economy. So how can we condition people, assuming it's necessary, to look beyond those points? And I think this would be a good time, by the way, to bring in your wine glass business as well, because you're a momster. So you have that on, and you have it has a presence on Amazon, but it also has its own website where you're providing content. So there are there are some answers, but by all means, take it away. So I would say Gary Vee probably has the best answer on this question, and, and that is go where it works. Like his philosophy of, hey, I think I think LinkedIn ads are underserved right now, or I think Twitter ads are underserved. So what's underserved right now is physical mailers. And if you wanted to grow your website or your other platform outside of Amazon, and you are sending postcards or you're sending catalogs, you are way better off using a uh, an advertising vertical that is less tapped, that has a lower cost, and you can make more of an impact. And physical mailers right now are extremely undertapped and still quite affordable, right? Because if you think about it, if you go on Google Ads, you know, your bits could be anywhere from $1 to $5 a click, depending on how competitive your category mm-hmm. is. And you can even do a mailer for less than a dollar. So if your CTR rates or your open rates and your physical mailers was equivalent to your digital, it may actually be more economical to ship out a catalog or ship out a postcard. So that's that's what I would do. I would I would just funnel wherever the cheapest way to build a brand would be. Pinterest ads right now uh, are kind of, you know, questionable, I'm not sure, but I think that there's an opportunity there. So I'm 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 invested in Pinterest ads for, for my Monster brand and Monster mm-hmm. is M O M S T I R if you're curious and listening to this. Um, so somebody that might stir stir it up in the kitchen and it might be a mom. So funny wine glasses. So I, I happen to sell the number one funny, funny wine glass on Amazon. And I don't think I have a lot of brand loyalty, but I do think I have a lot of happy customers. So that's a weird problem to have. So how do I convert happy customers into loyal brand followers? Not an easy question to answer. And Amazon has taken away a lot of tools to make that happen. Like it's pretty much banned to sell communication to your buyers. You still can technically, but the amount of rules and hurdles you have to follow is gigantic. You cannot put anything to push people to your site. If you have an imprint mailer attached to your product selling on Amazon that takes them to the site, you're going to get in trouble. They're going to ban you, right? So like, there's all these rules and regulations that Amazon puts in the way from you building your own brand because they want to they own the customer. So it makes your job very difficult, which is why I would say if you're going to try and grow your Shopify business today, then I would not focus on your Amazon customers. I would send out mailers. Huh. You know, I even remember when I got that mattress, there were inserts and there was mention of their website and their brand. And so uh, are you doing anything along those lines? Anything so when people receive the product that they have the potential to then make their way to your website instead? It's a really scary area to be in right now. I think Amazon's going to crack down on this. About a month ago, they had the CNBC story about fake reviews. The next time we see CNBC talk about product inserts, that's when we're going to see the ban go down. It's going to happen. And so millions of potential products could be suspended in the next six months because how many people are breaking rules on this one right now? And I'm surprised Amazon hasn't signaled a little bit more on this one uh, to like give people a chance to like, you know, stop, stop giving away a mailer with a free product and review follow-up, but it's being abused right now gigantically. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I would 
Um, as an agency standpoint, we are focused on things that we know are going to work two years from now and not focused on things that work right now. We want to have monthly engagements with people long term. And so if, if you want quick hits or hacks, you're going to probably have to pick up a third party tool and then use and abuse it until it stops working and then it will stop working and guarantee it. I'm hearing this for the first time and I will say, I mean, I guess I definitely understand Amazon's logic. They're putting in the resources for the infrastructure. They want to use that infrastructure to deliver the product. So I, I get that, but I couldn't think of a, of a compromise in some way for Amazon to then benefit from people going to external websites. Uh, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't think of a way to make Amazon happy in that situation. Re- regulation from the government is the solution on this one. And by the way, I'm a free enterprise and capitalist, hardcore. There is nothing that's going to prevent Amazon from monopolizing every asset of our lives unless the government steps in. Just bottom line. The, the funny thing about government is my, and by the way, from my uh, perspective, my lawyer told me that I was libertarian. And if my lawyer thinks I'm libertarian, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> I'm a libertarian too. Don't get me wrong. Nice. But, but, but knowing what I know about Amazon, I, I would be a little pro-regulation right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. It's just that the difference between the power structure of a company like Amazon versus the power structure of a government is that there is no rule where Amazon has to fire its CEO every four years. Or actually, maybe you can correct me on that. Maybe there is a rule. But you understand, like there's elections. People step out, people step in, there's transitions. And so, and there's also checks and balances in place so that things happen very slowly and very gradually. With these major companies, it's the fundamentals of of capitalism. It's built for growth, and so it's just, it's just going to keep on growing. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how the how the government is going to even have the power to to regulate them, well, considering have, how much money Amazon has for lobbying. Yeah, I don't have the answer either. I just know it's inevitable. Like we're going to see it go head to head. There is no question. AT and T got broken up for doing like way less, right? And Microsoft's also at high risk. And I read an article the other day about about that. But uh, yeah, it, it's bound to happen at some point because otherwise Amazon's going to become a government. Like they're getting that big. <laughs> so yeah. there's quite a few paths the future can hold. One of them is we end up just getting rid of government and just the world is run by corporations. Now, now the internal anarchist is coming out. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll consult with my lawyer on that one. I'll get back to you. We're pretty close to, to wrap up. Uh, I had a couple of, you know, uh, curiosities, just to uh, end this on uh, on a less anarchistic note. So one of the things that I appreciate about what you're doing is that you have a pretty cohesive brand. You have the My Amazon guy, uh, My Etsy guy, My Walmart guy, My eBay guy. And my sh- uh, so I, I'm My Shopify guy. What was the genesis for the My Guy brand? How did you get to that? All point? right. So I'm in the laundry room with the wife and uh, I had just gotten laid off from a job. Uh, used to work for for lights online, selling lighting kits, uh, was the marketplace director, was eating, sleeping, and drinking Amazon and marketplace. And I've been doing side hustle consulting for three or four years. And I was like, you know what? I'm tired of making other people millions of dollars. I want to do it for myself. And so we were talking in the laundry room. And it's like, well, how we need a, we need a company name. And, and the wife, she says to me, well, how do people normally introduce you? And I'm like, I don't know. They just say, hey, talk to my Amazon guy. <laughs> and then we both looked at each other and like, that was it. <laughs> It was really that easy. I, I, I've i also gone out of my way to like create really cool brand names like Monster, which I think is a fantastic brand name. My wife hates it though. So 
<laughs> so it's like, um, but we both love the My Amazon guy name. And uh, as much as I want my wife to like be the face of Monster and go sell baby goods and whatever and do do that, it's it's unfortunately become a very distant second love to to the My Guy branding. And it, it's just it's just a simple colloquialism that just really resonates because hey, everybody needs a guy to go get stuff done. So we're right. My Amazon guys. Right on. Um, actually, one uh, one thing touching on uh, Momster one last time uh, before we go is your overall uh, objectives with Momster. Uh, what I think you're doing with it is, A, you're trying to maintain an edge uh, and you're just trying to basically use that as a test so that any changes in Amazon. Yeah. So is there any other objectives that you have with it or are you just using it as your template just to see like, oh, if I press this button, what is this, what happens here? Uh, so... There was a point in time when a hundred of my listings on Monster got uh, suppressed this year, and I spent eight hours trying to figure out why. Well, it turns out you can't have the word gift in your title anymore on Amazon, or they will suppress your listings and nobody can find them. Well, that eight-hour investment that I did on a Friday night into the wee hours gave me a gigantic edge because the next week happened to 17 of my clients. And so that's exactly why I have my own brand. It's because I need to be able to test things in real world, make good decisions, so that I can roll it out for my clients. So I'll never lose that edge as long as I'm selling. But I do personally have aspirations to create like a baby goods brand at some point. I'm unfortunately probably never gonna execute those aspirations because 98% of my time is on the agency and that's where all my growth has come from. There's a gold rush to sell on Amazon right now and I'm the dude selling shovels. A lot of the clients I give a shovel to, they're gonna find gold. Mm. Not all of them, but a lot of them. But I'm going to make a ton of money selling shovels, just like the guys did in the California gold rush, having their own shovel shop. So I'm very pleased with what I've built. Um, I'm never going to sell my agency. And we are continuously growing because of the operation excellence that we put into place to grow people's sales. Awesome. Um, one last thing that I'm curious about in terms of your journey, because I was going through your YouTube videos. I saw a clip of you in an airplane and you used to be a reporter. So um one of the questions I like to ask people is how any of their previous experience influenced what they do now. Just as an example, one of the guys I talked to earlier on, uh, Paul Motley, he studied chemistry. And so he took his chemistry understanding and he would break things down into basic elements. And so he saw things kind of the way a chemist would. Um, maybe not necessarily being a news reporter is the thing that carried over, but I mean, I, you do a lot of speaking, so that's actually quite... Uh, uh, quite a quite a clear path from that point, but yeah, what are what other skills or what other experiences did you bring with you to this point? Two 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 skills that resonate: communication, just like you picked up on right there, right? Just being able to articulate yeah. the value prop of a product or the value prop of a service and how to act upon that. Absolutely. The second is investigation. When I first started my Amazon guy as an agency, I hired marketers because I thought, oh, I need to go hire marketers. We advertise products and we generate sales. Today, and in the last couple of years, I've completely changed that. I hire troubleshooters. I hire technicians. People that can solve problems have the most value when it comes to selling on Amazon. Because Amazon is a never-ending jigsaw puzzle that changes the rules every single day, and you have to keep up with it. And so traditional marketers are extremely frustrated by the Amazon ecosystem and platform, whereas somebody who likes to solve problems are fascinated by it, and they love it. So I seriously come in at least twice a week and have to solve a fire drill that's never been done before on the Amazon platform for one to 10 clients at a time simultaneously and still keep sales coming in through the door. Every company ever has an occasional fire drill. When you run an agency, it's a nonstop 
issue a fire drill nonstop. So mm-hmm. the skill, those two skills, without a doubt in my mind, are extremely valuable when it comes to selling products in e-commerce. I love asking that question, by the way, because I, I love hearing about uh, how the foundations that we set up for ourselves earlier on come with us and uh, are and are with us to this day. It's a fantastic podcast uh, question. I should steal it. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, you you have about three months before this episode goes live, so uh, uh, within that time, I'll rip it. There we go. All right, Stephen, uh, this has been a blast. Uh, I mean that sincerely. Last chance just to have the floor. If you want to remind people how to get in touch with you, get engaged, and if you have any parting wisdom that maybe uh, I didn't quite give you the question for, this is your chance to uh, to leave us with it. I, I I would say that the the common default marketing philosophy that I've used in my entire career can be summarized with the Nike logo, just do it. If you don't take action every single day to achieve your own personal objectives, then when are you going to ever achieve your objectives? You just won't. So if you want to get in touch with me, um, anybody who fills out a contact form at myamazonguy.com, I read every single one of those submissions and I respond as many times as I can. Even if you just have a quick question, you want to learn something about Amazon, stop by my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash myamazonguy. Or stop by my website, myamazonguy.com, and leave us um, leave us with a question. We'd be happy to consult or give you um, point you in the right direction. We literally do have more than 400 videos of content solving any Amazon problem ever, um, because there's so many things that happen when when you're selling on on the platform. So we try and add back to the community as much as we possibly can, because um, I know that if if I add value to you over the course of the next year, when you are scaled and ready to hire an agency going to be the first guys you think of. Um, so thanks very much for having me on your podcast. I, I thought this was a pleasure. And, and the question you asked was super unique. And I and I, I, I bet the people that follow you stick that whole hour because it's great. That is one of my main goals is uh, I definitely aim for uniqueness. Uh, I want you to have an experience unlike anything else. Well, yeah, I'll just, uh, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just, I should just say thank you. And I should have just left it at that. One of the things that come from my perspective is that as I talk to people, there is this big picture of e-commerce. I'm seeing the ecosystem like a massive puzzle. And what you've done today is that uh, you've probably given me like a couple of pieces that I can that I can add into this because I haven't talked to anybody else about Amazon. And it's going to be interesting the next Amazon person that I talk to down the line, now that I know if we have one booked just yet, but it's a big company. There's more than one person working on it. So I'm curious about when I get to that point as well and how the next person is going to fit in uh, to this big puzzle that I'm building in my head. So Stephen, thanks again. And uh, we'll, we'll check in with you guys next week. I, I appreciate it. Guys. Thanks so much. You might have found this show on many number of platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or right here on Debutify. Whatever the case, if you enjoy this content and want to help us thrive, please take a few moments to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you think is best. We also want to hear from you, so whether you think you'd be a good guest or want to weigh in on anything related to our show, you can email podcast at debutify.com or connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Finally, this podcast is created by the passionate team at Debutify. If you're ready to take the plunge into e-commerce or are looking to up your game, head over to debutify.com and see how it can change your life and the lives of many through what you do next.